0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, Thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please, let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. About a month ago, we began a series at Hope that we called Love Life. And in that series, we were seeking to explore what God has to say about some of the most important relationships in our life. And we began with a premise, and here was the premise that God created us for relationships. Primarily, He created us for a love relationship with Himself. God made us to know Him, to love Him, and to be loved by Him. But then, secondly, He made us to live out our relationship with Him in fellowship with other people. So, He created us to enjoy a relationship with Himself. And out of the overflow to enjoy relationships with others. And if you and I are ever going to really love life, we must understand that's how he made us. And we started with a question. And here was the question. Do the relationships in your life cause you to love life? And when we began this series, the plan was that we'd actually even subtitled the series, God's Perspective on Marriage, Dating, and Singleness, The plan was that we were going to simply look at those three areas of relationships and unpack what Scripture has to say about those areas. But in light of the events that have taken place in our city over the last couple of weeks and in really wanting to hear from the Holy Spirit of God about what He wanted to speak into our lives as a church, this Monday morning after finishing last Sunday and dealing with that big question of where's God in the midst of tragedy, the, the Spirit of God woke me up Monday morning with, with the idea of expanding our, 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 the sphere of the relationships that we were going to talk about in this series, and that's what I want us to do today. We're not just going to talk <coughs> marriage, dating, and singleness. We're going to broaden it just a little bit for this week, and then we'll jump back in next week back into some of those other areas, but I want to talk today about another very important relationship in all of our lives. As a matter of fact, it's a relationship that no matter how old you are, or how young you are, doesn't matter if you're married or single or working or going to school or both, every single person in the building today has the relationship that we want to address in your life. And here's the Bible word for the relationship we want to talk about today your neighbor. When we began the series together, we opened in Mark chapter 12 with Jesus saying, in response to the question, what's the most important thing in life? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And we use that to kind of bridge into this idea that first and foremost, it's about our relationship with God. And until we get our relationship with him right, Jesus being the number one pursuit in our lives... No other relationship in our life is going to be right apart from that. And we were using that and applying it to marriage, dating, and singleness. But I want to focus on this idea of our neighbor. And here's a big idea I want to put on the screen. I want you to read it out loud with me because this is what we're going to be unpacking from Scripture today. Let's read it one, two, three. My love relationship with Jesus should be evident in His love through me to my neighbor. Every one of us who walk with and love Jesus should be able to see the evidence of that relationship in his loving our neighbor through us. And here's why this is such a big deal right now for us. Since October 1st, since the day of the tragedy in our city. Last weekend, we addressed what was the big looming question where's God in the middle of all this? But, but other than that question, the question that I've heard more than any other question, specifically from followers of Jesus who live in Las Vegas, and I've even heard this question from brothers and sisters in Christ across the country and around the world who've texted or emailed or reached out. Here's the question that a lot of Christians are living with that live here What can I do? How can I make a difference in the city? How can I serve the people of Las Vegas and help us move forward? And the reality is there's only, I think, one thing that that right now should be the primary focus on all of our hearts and and minds as believers. And and here's what that is. There's There's a common expression used in the New Testament to describe the church. And here's that common expression. The church is the body of Christ. And I believe that the single greatest thing we can do as believers right now is as His body. We allow Christ in us to wrap His arms around this city and draw us close to himself as we love our neighbor. I don't know where you are this morning, but I'm telling you what Las Vegas needs and what our God desires to do is in the midst of this tragedy, Jesus desires to wrap his arms around this city and pull it close. But hear me, he's going to do that through his body and I'm looking at it and not just us all of the gospel centered Bible teaching churches across Las Vegas we all represent the body of Christ and collectively as we live our lives day in and day out Jesus desires through us to wrap his arms around this city and draw them close to himself. And there's a place in scripture I want you to turn this morning that we're going to be looking at. Luke chapter 10. You got your Bible, open it there. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is again addressing this idea of what's most important. A guy asked him that question again in a different way. And Jesus says to him, what does the commandment say? And he quotes that same thing that Jesus quoted in Mark 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, so mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's read it together. Beginning in verse 27. And he, the man, answered Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will, say it out loud, live. You hear it? The word live here is is, is an interesting word. There are two words in the Greek language that get translated with the word live in the New Testament. One of them is the Greek word bios. We get our English word biology from it. The study of human life. It simply means to exist, to be alive, to not be dead. This particular word is not bios. This is the Greek word zao. It's not just describing physical existence, it's describing enjoy. Jesus said, You do this and you will enjoy life. You will love life. You'll squeeze every ounce. Out of life. How? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then verse 29, look what the guy says. Wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to shrink the circle, right? I want to, but let's get this narrowly defined, Jesus. I'd like to know who is this neighbor that I'm supposed to love? So Jesus tells him a story. It's a parable. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, (laughs) he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side but a Samaritan. Now listen, you got to understand, we don't have time to go into all the context of this, but, but the Samaritan would have been the lowest rung on the social ladder. If there was a least likely hero in the story, it would have been the Samaritan. The most despised, the most segregated against. They called them in this day, the Jews would have called the Samaritans dogs. They wouldn't associate with them at all. So here comes the priest, the, the pastor of the Jews, and he goes bound there. Here comes the Levite, the, the worship leader, and he goes bound the other side. And then here comes the Samaritan, the dog. Look what it says. Who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them and put him On his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Get this. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? He said, The one... Who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. You know what our city needs? We need the church, the body of Christ, to be the Good Samaritan, to allow Christ in us to love through us in such a way that demonstrates the love and life of Jesus to every person we come into contact with. And so, out of these verses, I want to ask and answer two questions. Here's the first one. Who's my neighbor? I mean, it's the first thing he asks, right? Who is my neighbor? Who's he talking about that we're supposed to relate to like this? Well, the word neighbor, as it's used in our culture, means something very different than it's it's used in the New Testament. In our culture, when we say the word neighbor... Typically, we're talking about the people who live right around us. They own or rent homes that are right in our immediate neighborhood, so we all have four or five neighbors, or the people that live in your apartment complex, maybe you share a hallway or you share a stairwell with them, and those are your neighbors. The problem is, the Greek word for neighbor is much bigger than that. It's much broader Than that. The word neighbor here in the the New Testament is a word that comes from a root word which means near or close by. And it's describing someone who just happens to be close to you at that time. So, So let me give you a definition of the word neighbor. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Read it out loud with me. One, two, three. Any person near you at any given moment. That's your neighbor. You say, that's a really big circle. Yep. Think about the story. The Samaritan didn't know this guy. He didn't have an appointment to go see him. Matter of fact, he was doing something else. He was on a journey, and this guy was a total stranger. He just happened to be near him in a given moment, and that person became his neighbor. Here's what that means. Neighbor includes, obviously, the people that live on your street. But it also includes the people you work with. It includes the people that you go to school with. It includes the people that you are behind in line at the grocery store. Or maybe you're one of those and you're ahead of them in line. But it includes those people. They're near you at a given moment. It's your neighbor. It includes the people that you pass by at the mall. It includes the people at the gym that are on that piece of equipment next to you that you're patiently waiting for them to get off of so you can get on it. It includes them. That's your neighbor. It includes the person that you're (coughs) considering hiring to do that project at your house. It includes the person that delivered pizza to your house. It even includes your Uber driver. All of these are your neighbor. They're people who are near you at any given moment. Here's what that means. Race doesn't matter. Religion doesn't matter. God help us, political affiliation doesn't matter. Nationality doesn't matter. Economic status doesn't Matter. If we are ever going to live out this principle of loving our neighbor, we must begin to see people this way. Our primary filter in looking at other people must be that any person near you at any given moment is an opportunity to love your neighbor. Here's what that means. Every moment in life, is now an opportunity to live on mission with God, demonstrating the love and life of Jesus to people around you. You ever thought that going to the grocery store is a mission trip? It is. A lot of you have already been to breakfast this morning at a restaurant, or you're going to go with family or friends after this service to a restaurant. You're going to have a late lunch or a brunch or whatever you want to call it on Sunday. Did you know that when you walk into that restaurant, you're on mission with God? There's gonna be somebody in that restaurant who's waiting on your table serving you. And get this the most important thing about that moment is not how they serve you, it's how you serve them in demonstrating the love and life of Jesus to them. Every, who's my neighbor? Every person that happens to be near us in a given moment. Is an opportunity for us to love our neighbor. So then here's the second question. How? How do I love my neighbor? Don't miss this. It doesn't start with your relationship to your neighbor. It starts with your relationship to Jesus. You say, why? Here's why. Apart from Jesus, you and I are never gonna live out this principle of loving our neighbor. Let me tell you why. It's gonna sting a little bit. Left to ourselves, we are selfish. We talked a few weekends ago about the brokenness of this world that we live in, how sin entered into this world, and it brought brokenness, the curse of sin. One aspect of the curse of sin is that we all come into this world bent towards doing that, which is opposite of what God would have us to do. So we come into this world not focused on Jesus and others. We come into this world wanting to get mine, right? That's why this morning over in our other building, we're not having to teach a lesson on selfishness to the kids. They got that, right? You've never had to teach this word to your children, mine. That one just comes hardwired, right? You lay something on the table, they're old enough to grab it, they're going to grab it and the next word out of their mouth is mine. Whether it's theirs or not, right? We have to teach them how to do what? Why? Why is that? Because we're broken relationally, and one aspect of that is that there is a self-centeredness to this degree. There are some moments, even when we're attempting to love our neighbor, the real motive behind that is a self-centered, I want them to think more highly of me. So I'm going to serve them, but the real motive is not altruism. The real motive is wanting to edify myself before them so that they think more highly of me. But, as you and I begin to be conformed to the image of Jesus, what happens is his life begins to be manifested in and through our lives. And let me tell you what it always looks like. Loving your neighbor. You know why? Because that's just who Jesus is. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Galatians chapter 5. Look what Paul writes in Galatians 5. Look on the screen. He says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. That's a good word. Amen? Here's what that means. When you came to Christ... You no longer are under the bondage of religion trying to perform so that you can earn a right standing with God. Here's what Jesus did. He declared us to be righteous. We've been made right with God in Christ. We no longer have to earn merit and favor before God. But here's what Paul says. This is what you were called to, freedom. But look what he says. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Just because you don't have to earn a right standing before God doesn't mean that now you can just put all the focus and attention on you. Look what he said. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Now, get this, but I say, here's the key, walk by the what? And look what it says, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Yes, amen? Here's what that means. As I walk by the Spirit, I no longer carry out the desire of the flesh, which is what? Selfishness, self-centeredness, getting what's mine. But as I walk by the Spirit, I begin to allow Christ in me to live through me. Now, when I first, this is one of the first verses that I read after becoming a follower of Jesus. And when I read it, part of me rejoiced because I thought, yes, I know the emptiness of the desires of my flesh, and I don't want that anymore. And I thought, glory, now I won't carry it out. Here's the key. Walk by the Spirit. Here's the problem. I didn't have a clue what that meant. (laughs) Sounds good. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the I wanted this. Didn't have a clue what that meant. And then God showed me another verse that says basically the same thing. Let me show it to you. Romans 13, 14. Look what it says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what? Make no provision for the flesh in regard to the Same promise. You won't carry out the desire. But instead of walking by the Spirit, here he calls it putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's describing. As you and I focus on Jesus and pursue intimate fellowship with him, the Spirit does a work of transformation in us, clothing us in the person of Christ, meaning that we are being conformed to his image, meaning that what comes out of me is not a better me. It's literally Christ in me living his life through me, what does it look like when we do that? Let me show you Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is said out loud, Wow, love. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. But the first one, love. Here's what he's saying the evidence. That Christ in me is being lived through. Here's the problem with this verse. A lot of times we see this verse, and here's the way most people read it the fruits of the Spirit. Now, when we read it like that, we think this is a basket. And we get to go up and pick, well, I, I'm good at this one, and I'm good at this one, and nah, some of those other ones, I'm gonna leave that in the basket for somebody else. But it doesn't say fruits. Of the Spirit, it says fruit. It's singular, meaning this. Here's what this is this is a nine dimensional description of the life of Jesus Himself. And the degree to which you and I are being conformed to the image of Jesus, guess what's coming out of me? Love. Guess what's coming out of me? Joy. Guess what's coming out of me? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why? Because that's just who Jesus is. And the degree to which I'm allowing Christ in me to live through me, here's the first obvious evidence. I'm loving my neighbor. And the reality is, this is just who Jesus is. Think about all the stories in the Gospels that you and I now cling to as foundations of our faith that were simply Jesus' random encounters with total strangers. Example, John chapter 1. You know what you find Jesus doing in John 1? He's just hanging out. And a guy walks up to him named Andrew. And Andrew says, man, I'd really love to get to know you. And so Jesus says, well, hey, let's go to a house over here and let's hang out. And so he takes Andrew to a house. And the Bible says, you can read it, John chapter 1. They hung out all day. And Andrew gives his life to Jesus and becomes a radical follower of Christ. First thing Andrew does, says, man, I got to go find my brother and tell my brother about this dude I just met. He goes and gets his brother. Guess what his brother's name is? Peter. Pretty significant character in the Bible, I'd say, right? I mean, preached on the day of Pentecost, one of the foundation stones of the early church. Andrew goes gets his brother Peter, says, You gotta meet Jesus. And Jesus leads Peter to himself. Peter becomes a disciple, and the rest is New Testament history and biblical Christianity. But it didn't start with Jesus waking up and saying, you know what, I'm gonna go out today on a mission trip for God and lead an influential leader to the kingdom of God so that they can build the foundation of the church and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. No, he was just hanging out. And at a given moment, God brought somebody into his life. And in that moment, he seized that opportunity and shared the love of God with him in a way that drew him to himself. Think of another story John chapter (laughs) 4. Jesus gets thirsty. Seriously, he's thirsty. Not deep, theological. (laughs) He's thirsty. So he goes to a well to drink water. Why? Because he's thirsty. And he meets a woman. We know it is what? The woman at the well. Jesus just got thirsty. Want to get something to drink. Winds up leading this woman to himself. And the Bible goes on in that story to tell us almost her entire city in Samaria. Interesting, she was a Samaritan. Almost her entire city came to know him because of her testimony. Jesus reached a whole city of Samaritans because he got thirsty. I'll give you one more. You ever heard of Zacchaeus? Right? A lot of us grew up in church. We know that story, right? We know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. How did Jesus meet Zacchaeus? Let me tell you how. Jesus was traveling. (laughs) And he sees a guy up in a tree. And he says, Hey, what are you doing in the tree? Right? I mean, that's an honest question. What are you doing in the tree? And Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree, has a conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, let's go hang out at your house. So they load up, go to Zacchaeus' house, spend the day with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Jesus. Zacchaeus turns his life over to him. His life gets changed radically, becomes a great leader in the movement that's called Christianity. God uses him greatly. But here's what I want you to see. These were ordinary moments in the life of Jesus that became radical demonstrations to the love of God to those around him. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, discipled me. Here's what he taught me. Look at this quote. This is real Christianity. A spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. The ministry is not what we do for Christ. The ministry is Christ. And the glory of the ministry is Christ's life manifested in our lives. So if you and I are gonna love Jesus, if we're gonna love our neighbor, it starts with us loving Jesus and letting us begin to see people around us as Jesus sees them and allow him to use us and to work through us. So, so here's the life application before we move into this next section. The single greatest thing you and I can do to love our neighbor is be long in the presence of Jesus. Because here's the point. These moments are going to happen in your life every day. And if you're not long with Jesus, you will walk right past them. You'll never notice that woman at the well. You'll never notice that guy in the tree. You'll just go to the other side of the street and just pass right by. I don't know about you, but I didn't get this email. I didn't get an email on September the 29th on Friday from God saying, hey, you better be much with Jesus this weekend because by the time you wake up on Monday morning, all hell is going to have broken loose in your city. And you need to be sure you're full of Jesus. You get that email? I didn't get that email. So here's what that means. We better be long with him today. Because, listen, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen before the end of the day. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know when those moments are going to pass by in our life. And if we are not long with Jesus, we will miss them. So here's what I believe the story of the Good Samaritan is. I believe the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus encapsulating his relating to people in a parable. I think the Samaritan in this story is Jesus. And I think Jesus is drawing from his relationships with all these different people and pulling it into one story, and he gives us three ways that we should love our neighbor. And I want to mention them quickly. Number one, if we're going to love our neighbor, we got to be aware. we got to be aware. Did you hear what the Bible said? The priest saw him. The Levite saw him. But the Samaritan, when he saw him, he felt compassion. The word compassion here, to feel compassion, it's a word that means to be deeply moved within. The Samaritan saw the same thing the priest saw, the same thing the Levite saw. But when he saw it, something moved on his heart to see it differently than they'd seen it. This word, feel compassion, is used over and over again in the New Testament to describe Jesus' heart towards people. For example, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees a crowd. talks about him as a sheep without a shepherd. And he says, it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus saw a large crowd of people that he'd been teaching all day. And the Bible says when he saw the large crowd, he felt compassion for them. In Matthew chapter 20, there were two blind men and Jesus was walking away from a ministry situation and these two blind men just kept crying out. And the Bible said when Jesus saw these blind men, he felt compassion. Mark chapter 1, there was a leper crying out to Jesus from the street. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus stretched out his hand after being moved with compassion. When we are long in the presence of Jesus, here's what's going to happen. We're going to start seeing people like he sees them. And the only filter we're going to see is their need for the love of God to move in their lives in radical ways. And we'll be aware of that need. Here's a question I want you to think about. Don't answer out loud. But are you aware of the people around you on a daily basis? who need to experience the life and love of Jesus and God in his infinite sovereignty brought them across your path because he wants to love them through you are you even aware I'll give you a story from my life about, about, about a month and a half ago we had decided as a family to go out and uh, have a big family fun night and we went to dinner and had a great dinner, and then we're going to go to one of these new, I don't know if you've heard of them, called Escape Rooms. Anybody anybody heard of Escape Rooms? Well, they're kind of a new thing everybody's kind of getting into. I'll be honest with you. I'm hooked. I love Escape Rooms. If you don't know what an Escape Room is, we went to one called Escapeology. If you don't know what an Escape Room is, it's a game where they've designed it. They, they lock you in a team, a group of people, about five or six people, they lock you in a room. And you've got one hour to figure out all the clues to get you out of the room. It's like being a detective. Now, I know for all you that are really detectives, you're like, no, it's not. But don't ruin it for us. We think it is. It's awesome. So, so I love these escape rooms. So, so we love the whole family. We go down to an escape room, and we get down there. And, and, and the one we had rented to do was we had more people in our group that could that can go in the room. And so my wife, Christy, and I decided we would sit outside because we'd done them before and nobody else had, and we would hold our new granddaughter, Karis, while the rest of the family went into the escape room. So we're sitting out with the grandbaby in the lobby. They're all in the escape room doing their thing. About halfway through their time in the room, in walks this crowd of about six or seven people. And the only way I know how to describe them is they were millennials that were very far from God. Uh, (laughs) You could just tell by their attitude, their demeanor, their language, their dress, their conversation... This this crowd was way far from God. And and they're sitting there waiting on their room to open, and they're they're talking among themselves. And, I mean, it's just like I'm wanting to put my hands over the ears of my month-and-a-half-old granddaughter and just go, don't let her hear this. It's awful. After a few minutes, they're sitting there talking. And here's here's the, the first thought that comes to my mind. They are ruining our family fun night. <laughs> I know some of you come and you see us up here and you think we always get it right. But I don't, you know, we don't always get it right either. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why of all nights do they have to come in here tonight? <laughs> and after a couple minutes, they load them up and take them to their escape room. And I'm literally sitting there praying, God, just lock them in there and don't let them escape. Just... <laughs> Just get them in there. Don't let them out. I'm, being, I'm serious. Our group comes out. We load up in the car. And I didn't even tell my wife this until this morning. But I'm sitting there in the car. And, and here's what the Spirit of God broke my heart with. Man, those people you didn't like are people that I love. And I brought them right into your path. And you were so absorbed with yourself that you didn't even see what I saw. Every single day, every single day, there are moments like that all around us. And here's the principle. God is constantly at work all around us. And we will miss it unless we are much with Jesus. We just will. Here's the reality. In in, in light of the last couple of weeks in our city, there are more people talking about God, spiritual things, life and death, maybe than at any other time in Las Vegas' history. If you don't believe me, just just look at the billboards on the strip. Billboards that in a normal season are pointing people very far away from God. And those same billboards right now, you go up and on the strip, what do they say? Pray. Billboards that are normally pushing people from God now are pushing people to God. There's an openness in our city to talk about and to discuss spiritual things. But if you and I are not long with Jesus, we'll miss it. we got to be aware. Here's the second thing. we got to be available. Available. The Bible says in verse 34, he came to him. He came to him. You hear it there? He didn't just see him, and he didn't just feel something. He came. The word came means to to move towards him. He wasn't just aware of his neighbor. He was available to be used by God to demonstrate the life and love of Jesus to him. We live in a culture today. We're so busy. American society is so wrapped up in busyness. And here's the statement. I wrote this down this morning. If I'm too busy to love my neighbor... I'm too busy. So what do I need to change to be more available, to be used by God? So not just be aware, but we should be available. And here's two aspects of what availability looks like. Number one, we must be flexible with our time. The Bible tells us this Samaritan was on a journey. The word journey is a word that means to be on the way somewhere, meaning he was in the middle of something, headed somewhere, and God interrupted his schedule. To join in God's activity of loving my neighbor means often I have to die to the activity of loving myself and my schedule. And let me just say transparently, this is hard for me. I'm a schedule dude. I like schedule. I'm the guy, and there's two of us in my house. I won't name them, but there's two of us. The rest of them aren't this. But, but if we're not 15 minutes late or 15 minutes early, then we're late. If we don't get to see the previews, we're late for the movie, Right? Some of you are already thinking, yep, amen, praise God, I'm glad somebody said that, right? Because you're like me, I love, I love schedule. There's nothing wrong with schedule, but here's what this principle teaches us. I need to live with my schedule, holding it loosely, open for the Spirit of God to redirect my schedule to join in what God may be doing in somebody else's life. And if I'm so busy, I don't have time for that, then I got stuff on my schedule God didn't put there. Because he's bringing these people into our lives. But not only do I need to be flexible with my schedule, my time, I need to be generous with my resources. Look at verse 34. It says, he came to him. He bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. Then he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn. And he took care of him and he stayed with him all day. This principle is he was generous with his resources. This guy was on a journey. He was traveling somewhere, which means the bandages, the oil, the wine, the beast, everything he had here, the money, he had an intention for it. He didn't just bring a bunch of extra stuff with him. He was on a trip. Everything he brought with him, he intended to use on himself. And yet in this moment, he lived with everything he had, holding it very loosely looking for an opportunity to make a difference in somebody else's life. The Bible says he was pouring oil and wine on him. Here's what most of us, we'd, if we'd done anything, we'd have dabbed it. <laughs> he just turned it upside down and poured it on him. Why? Because he was generous with his resources. Why? Because he was available to be used by God. Here's third and final thing. You got to be invested. This one's the most painful. <laughs> got to be invested. Look back at verse thirty-five. Look what he says. And on the next day, I mean, he'd already he'd already spent a whole day with this guy that he didn't know, total stranger. He'd already adjusted his schedule, his time. He'd already used a ton of his resources to meet this guy's need. Now, verse thirty-five, on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, "Take care of him." And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. He was invested. Here's what this means. This wasn't drive-by need meeting. He didn't just roll down his window and hand somebody a $5 bill to say he could love his neighbor. He was invested in the wholeness of. And the wellness of this individual. John MacArthur said this about what he did. Look at this quote. Depending on the quality of the inn. The amount of money that he would have paid. For the injured man's room and board. The the, the amount he would have paid. For the injured man's room and board. From anywhere from three weeks to two months. So he gave enough money. To have spanned a three-week to two-month stay. Look what it says. In effect, he gave him a blank check. His generosity knew no bounds. Here's what that means. Whatever was required for this man to be made whole, he was in. Here's what that means. Loving your neighbor is going to be messy. You can't just say, be warm, be filled and move on. Loving your neighbor is going to be messy.' You've got to be invested. As we're with Jesus, we become aware, we become available, and we're willing to be invested in the lives of the people that God brings into our path at any given moment. And here's what he says. If you'll do that, you will love life. You will live. You'll enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, today, I ask that you would take these truths and Teach us. Lord, show us from your word what it looks like to live this out as children of God. In the stillness of this moment as you sit before the Lord today, if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus that we've been talking about, In just a moment, our worship team is going to lead us. We're going to stand and sing a song. It's not a time to slip out early. It's a time for us to respond to what God is speaking to us. And if you don't know this Jesus that we've been talking about, when we stand to sing in just a moment, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to leave your seat where you are. And we got some pastors down here at the front. I'm here in the middle, two other guys here on the corners. You come to any one of these pastors, here's all you need to say. I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus. You can leave here today being forgiven of your sins, embracing the gospel that Jesus died for you, rose again for you, and you can be made right with God. You just come. That's all you got to do. Just come. For others of you this morning, maybe as I've been preaching today, God's put somebody on your heart A neighbor, somebody that's in your life, and you've not been aware of it, or you've not been available to be used, or you're not willing to get invested. And this morning, God's convicted you. We're going to take these steps up here at the front, open them up like an old-fashioned altar. I want to invite you today to come. You can get one of these altars, and just, I want you to begin to pray for them by name. You say, I don't know their name. Then you just pray for them. God knows who they are. Maybe it's just somebody at a store where you frequent and you know God's put them on your heart. You want to come and just start praying for them. Think about these questions as we respond this morning. Are you aware of the people around you? Over the last week, can you think of a few people that you know God brought into your path? You saw them like He saw them. Your heart broke for them. Are you available? Have you allowed God to use you in their lives by changing something in your schedule or out of your resources sharing in their life are you invested are you willing to walk with them it's going to be messy and finally if you're here today and you want one of our pastors to pray with you about something in your job your health your family a relationship a crisis we'd be honored to pray that's why while we're singing this song of worship Let it be a time to respond. Let it be a time to pray and seek God. If you want to be prayed with, our pastors are here. You come. Father, use this time for your glory. Have your way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.